You know, if you go into the library that is the Bible, that's literally what the word Bible comes from. It's a Latin word, Biblia, which means Bible. So if you go into the Bible that is, this library that is the Bible, and you go to the wisdom section, you will find three main books. You'll find the book of Proverbs, and the book of Job, and the book of Ecclesiastes. All of them are attributed to King Solomon, who is known for the gift of wisdom that God gave to him. And all three of them are very, very different books. Proverbs is full of what some would call kind of oversimplified truths about the way life works. And then Job, as you probably know, is about inexplicable suffering, that it's not always true that the people who deserve goodness get it and those who deserve wickedness get it. Then you have Ecclesiastes, which is this description of the futility of life, especially in the face of death. And none of these wisdom books in this library that is the Bible stand alone. They all need the larger library of the wisdom of God in order to understand the other books. And actually, you need the whole library to understand the wisdom of God. This morning we are in Ecclesiastes, and not just this morning, but next week as well. This is a book, the title's taken from the Greek word, ekklesia, same word that's used for church, it it's, means gathering. And the writer of Ecclesiastes came much later than King Solomon, so it's not literally King Solomon, but it's someone like King Solomon, who had the resources, the position to search out wealth and pleasure and truth and wisdom, and after he does all of that, his conclusion is that all is vanity and a chasing after wind. 38 times you find the word vanity in this book. He begins the book that way, all is vanity and a chasing after wind, ends the book that way. And yes, there are these little snippets where he talks about the goodness of life and it's good to enjoy the gifts that God has given to you to eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. That's about as happy as the book gets. <laughs> so this wisdom writer is talking about, and you're going to hear it in this first chapter, I'm going to read it in a moment, about this repetitious cycle of nature and history and even wisdom. And it's all a weariness literally uses that word and you come to the end of the chapter and basically he says the more you know the more you ache so i'm going to pray and we're going to hear god's word let's pray spirit of the living god we can only hear you and know you and be alive in you because you have come to us so fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ, but also because you are here now. So we pray in the power of your spirit that we would hear your word to us this morning. Amen. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Listen to God's word to you. The words of the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What do people gain from all the toil at which they toil under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. 
The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they continue to flow. All things are wearisome, more than one can express. The eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. The people of long ago are not remembered, nor will there be any remembrance of people yet to come by those who come after them. I, the teacher, when king over Israel and Jerusalem, applied my mind to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to human beings to be busy with. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and chasing after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a chasing after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And those who increase knowledge increase sorrow. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Yeah, I read this chapter out loud to several people this past week, and uh, the response was mostly positive. People would say, Yup, that's how I feel. I found that interesting. This chapter that is so full of despair was somewhat comforting for people. And then I read a book that Kurt loaned me. That's kind of an overview of scripture. It's called Opening Israel Scripture. And I want to read to you what she said. She said the same thing, Ellen Davis, about Ecclesiastes. Some people, she writes, can hear it and receive comfort when they can hear nothing else in scripture. One woman who suffers from chronic depression says reading this book is like soaking in a warm bath. Another says reading it each day got her through her husband's battle with cancer. A military chaplain says that in the theater of war, this is often the only book that speaks deeply to soldiers. Isn't that interesting? Amazing for a book that waxes eloquent on how monotonous and meaningless life is. One generation comes, another generation goes, eventually nobody even remembers that you were here. The sun rises, the sun sets, the wind blows in circles, the streams run to the sea. Nothing really satisfies. And you could write your own script here. You make your long commute to work, you work all day, you make your long commute home, and then you get up tomorrow and you do it all over again. You go to Costco, you fill up your fridge with food, you feed your family, and then you do it all over again next week. You pay your bills, you manage your bank account, you pay your taxes, and then you do it all over again next month, next year. You check the news when you get up, it depresses you. 
the next day you hear the news and it's like it's the same news and it depresses you all over again. What has been, Ecclesiastes writes, is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. I saw all the deeds that are done under the sun and see all is vanity and a chasing after wind. Yup, people said, that's the way it feels. And that's true. We can say when you are battling with depression, perhaps when you are caring for someone with cancer or fighting even in a war, but why is it that people feel so comforted by this text? And as I've been wrestling with it, I think that this visceral experience of despair and the fact that it's actually in Scripture is comforting. Because maybe that means God holds it as the community holds it and that we're going to be okay. As you know, today is World Communion Sunday, and it's also the day that we receive the denominations, one, uh, not one great hour sharing, but the peacemaking offering. And as we receive this peacemaking offering today, we're mindful, you could hear even in Kurt's prayer, you will hear it again later, about our efforts of peacemaking. And as we look at them over the years, we too can despair over that, how circular it seems, few steps forward, and then more steps back in all the countries that you name, Middle East, Afghanistan, Syria, Republic of Congo, even Cameroon, but even in our own country. Jimmy Carter was in the news this past week because he turned 95. No former president has reached that marker. So reading some of the things about Jimmy Carter was interesting, especially remembering that he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2002 for his work with human rights, conflict resolution, and yet think about all that he's seen in the 95 years of his life. And how he's seen how short-lived these accomplishments can be. I visited the Carter Center there in Atlanta, Georgia, and he gives a talk there, I guess, every year. And he gave that talk last month, and he wrote this, or said this. I just want to keep the whole world at peace. We have been at war more than 226 years as a country. We have been at peace for about 16 years. This is since the Declaration of Independence. And these are, as he notes, wars of choice. The United States is very deeply inclined to go to war. And yet with all of his perspective, in light of all that, all that he's seen, all that he knows, what does this man choose to do with his time and energy? with his one wild and precious life, as Mary Oliver would put it. With the business, quote, that Ecclesiastes says, that God has given to human beings to be busy with on this earth. When the article I read this, Jimmy Carter still teaches Sunday school in Plains, Georgia, every Sunday, with his wife of 73 years, Rosalind, who's now 92, and he still plans an upcoming trip to help build houses with Habitat for Humanity in Nashville, Tennessee. Jimmy Carter invests in the larger story of God in Jesus Christ. You know, there is in this library that is the Bible, 
the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, this repetitious, discouraging cycle of never making straight what is crooked, never making up for what is lacking, just seeing the failures of history repeat themselves over and over again. And the book of Ecclesiastes has been compared to the opening of Genesis. God makes a good world, good gifts, and yet God's creation and God's people turn away from the goodness of God to this captivity to futility. But if you keep moving through this library into the New Testament, into Matthew 13, you will find this scene where Jesus is being pushed by the religious leaders to perform some kind of miraculous sign so that he can prove who he is to them. And Jesus pushes back. And this is what he says. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon and see something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than the Proverbs and these oversimplified formulas of how God or how life works. Something greater than the inexplicable, inexplicable suffering of Job, a righteous man. Something greater than the complete futility of life and death in Ecclesiastes where all is vanity and a chasing after wind. I am here, Jesus is saying. The sign you are looking for that this futility is not the full story. Which is why we immerse ourselves in this larger library that is the Bible. Like Jimmy Carter does. Like the church does regularly. So that we can discover with Paul Christ. As he describes him in Colossians 2. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And friends, when we do that, when we immerse ourselves in that larger library, and then we come to that sinking place of realizing there is nothing new under the sun. It's the same old thing day after day. But then we go to the end of the story, and we hear about how all things will be made new in Jesus Christ, a new heaven, a new earth. There is a new day. And when we immerse ourselves in that larger library, that larger wisdom of God, and we come to that sinking place of realizing that all of our hard work, all of our accomplishments, don't really make any difference in the long run. When I'm dead and gone, someone will come and undo, at some point, what I've done. We look to that day when Jesus' kingdom, full of mercy and love and compassion and justice, will come. And will continue into all eternity. He will make straight what we cannot make straight. He will redeem and transform this world of violence and deception when there's no lasting peace. He will fill up what is lacking. Because in him it's not this never-ending cycle of lies and brutality and oppression and death. There is a telos, an end I am the Alpha and the Omega, he said, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So we can find comfort in this chapter that ends in one huge heartache because the greater wisdom of God, who has shown up in Jesus Christ, 
is saying there's more. I am the resurrection and the life. There's more to this library. There's more to this story. There is meaning behind all that is meaningless. When I was in this passage, Ecclesiastes 1, I wrote to Lucy Kalanithi and asked her, because her husband, Paul Kalanithi, who wrote the book, When Breath Becomes Air, right before he died in 2015, at age 37, right when his brilliant career as a neurosurgeon was being launched, was dying of lung cancer. It's a brilliant book. He's a brilliant man and a brilliant writer. And he struggled and wrestled a lot with the meaning of life and the meaning of his own life. And so I thought of him and I thought of her and I said, I'm thinking of you. Did you all read this? Did you read a class, Ecclesiastes, together? And she wrote me back. She gave me permission um, to share this with you. But she was reminding me that toward the end of the book, when breath becomes air, Paul wrote this. Everyone succumbs to finitude. Most ambitions are either achieved or abandoned, and either way they belong to the past. The future, instead of the latter to the goals of life, flattens out into a perpetual present. Money, status, all the vanities the preacher of Ecclesiastes described held so little interest. A chasing after wind indeed. Isn't that interesting? But then she reminded me too that he finished the book with his very present tense love for his little girl, Katie. And in his closing phrase, he, write, he wrote, in this time, right now, that is an enormous thing. God holding all of it together, his past, his future, his life, her life, his dying, their connection for eternity, his baptism, her baptism, the meaning behind meaninglessness. And then Lucy said this. She said, after reading Ecclesiastes 1, she wrote, you want to know the first thing that comes to mind to me today, reading this passage? That it nails something I think about all the time as a doctor. That the electronic medical record, the prior authorization phone calls, the player piano in the hospital lobby, the fancy hanging diplomas, they're all vanities. They don't matter. And the work is never done. So chasing after those things could feel meaningless. But they're also part of something that does matter to this patient right now in ways big and small and to me and to the moral mission of healthcare which is there in the background all the time. Love and moral purpose and bigger things than I can see. I guess what I'm saying is that I agree with this passage, but it's not the full story. Our lives are small, but they are not meaningless or isolated. They matter because we are not just individual lives. They matter because of justice and mercy and love. This larger wisdom of God God holding it all together and bringing it to a glorious conclusion in Jesus Christ. As we hear in the words of the Alleluia Chorus, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And so there's just this never-ending sequence of alleluias, right? <laughs>
Alleluia. This despair is held. Kenji, I invite you up with our singers, our brothers and sisters from the Cameroon to lead us in a song about God's peace, which comes fully in the greater wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. And so we can find comfort in the repetition that seems and feels meaningless this day. In this world as we seek peace, because we know that God is holding all of it and has, bring, has brought a greater wisdom and healing in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>